Cincinnati jersey All on the block, we get it in Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Hey, you know when ESPN Bracketology has you off the bubble, it is definitely a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Thank goodness for that, Hummer, because the last week took years off my life. And I'm blaming it on the Bearcats. I'm also blaming them for the uh, devastating influenza that has run through my household and uh, put me what feels like on my deathbed. Thank you, Bearcats, for not making it easy against Memphis. A victory, 92-86 in overtime, as well as a victory against East Carolina, 70-67 in overtime. Somehow... We got it done. We it, it truly felt, though, like in both of those games, we were going to come out the losing side. And we probably would have had it not been for the week of my guy, Trey Scott. It is officially Trey Scott week. We need to put it on the calendar for every year. to For every future year, Trey Scott truly did bear, bail out the Bearcats in every way imaginable this week. Uh, playing out of his mind offensively in the Memphis game and bringing his typical stalwart defense and, and exceptional rebounding to the table. Just a truly awesome week and great thing to see for a Bearcat who's, who's in his fifth year with the program, fifth-year senior, has put in a ton of hard work. Uh, the strength coach's photo of Trey's before and after is going around and the transformation he's undergone physically is Remarkable, to say the least. He's now got Doris Burke fawning over his prospects as a pro, uh, as well as our boy Tyler Glazier. Uh, even Tyler now is checking out the game and saying, hey, it might be worth monitoring him as a, as a low-level NBA prospect. And, and that's a, a testament to the hard work and effort and play of Trey Scott. So congratulations to him. But more importantly, Hummer, congratulations to you. I know this means a lot. It does. This is the tray I've been expecting all year showing up right now. Even with the last game against ECU, he still pulled out, you know, a good, a respectable 15 points per game. Uh, sorry, 15, 14 points scored. He had 12 rebounds. The kid is now averaging a double double on the season. I don't think he's a kid anymore, Hummer. I think he's right. A, he's a grown <laughs> man and he's playing like it. Uh, man, <laughs> really uh, exceptional week. He was just named the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. So cheers to Trey. Big week, and we very much needed it. And we'll get into those games, Hummer. Let's start with the Memphis game. Like I mentioned, we ended up winning this game, ninety-two to eighty-six. It was played on our home court, and early in that game, the 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 true panic set in about two minutes in when Jaron Cumberland picked up his second foul. He got called for a uh, questionable charge to start, and then he had a very undisciplined play on defense where he reached in and, and drew that second foul. We had to play quite a, quite a bit of basketball there in the first half without Jaron Cumberland and also without Chris Vote. How were you feeling uh, when you were able to watch this, seeing Jaron and, and Chris leave the lineup for what would be an extended period of time? 
So it's it's funny because you mentioned that watching the game, I had it on DVR, and so I was actually watching the first half right as about the middle of the second half was was going on, and I kept noticing that the time to for the game to be finishing wasn't ticking down. So I actually figured out it was an overtime <laughs> without seeing the without seeing any updates, and eventually I I accidentally made the mistake of hopping onto instagram and saw that we had won so it made watching the game a lot easier uh but once you it's a good point when when these two go out you're thinking okay how bad is this first half going to be but really what that first half showed and what the whole game showed is and this is a big i think when we talk about the ecu game it's going to be the complete opposite the bench showed up this game oh yeah big time in this, a big time way and and to be frank, though, that's where you expect them to show up is in a home game. That's why home games are so important is because it does tend to bring out the best of your role players. And we got that in spades in, in a first half where we truly needed it because we know how clogged toilet our offense can look when Jaron Cumberland's not in the game. There is not a lot of shot creation on the court. And when we talk about the East Carolina game, we're going to hear about it again. Um but without Jaron in the lineup for quite a while in that first half, we got great minutes, primarily defensive minutes uh, and energy minutes out of guys like Jeremiah Davenport, Zach Harvey, Javen, Mamadou Diara. I mean, all of these guys just found a way to come in and light a spark. But the real star of that show, outside of Trey, was Jeremiah Davenport, who hadn't played in quite a few games heading into that Memphis game. Yeah, and look at what he did with the minutes that he was afforded. Very efficient, very effective, high energy. I think at one point he had uh, he got posterized by Precious and immediately came down and went right back in the in the Precious's face, just full, of, just oozing confidence. Beautiful display of of what I think we have to look forward to watching Jeremiah Davenport over the next three years. I certainly don't know every player in college basketball, nor do I know their personalities, but I can feel confident saying that Jeremiah Davenport is definitely 100% one of the most confident players in the country. For a guy, for a guy who plays as little as he does and has played as little as he does, he has absolutely no fear. If he sees any sort of space from the three-point line, he's cutting it loose. He missed all four of his threes in this game but he definitely thought all four of them were going in. And based on his confidence, I thought they were going in too. But outside of that, like you said, anyone who can come back from Precious Achua just dunking on him with the ferocity of Blake Griffin on Kendrick Perkins, it's impressive. It was impressive that he had absolutely no back down. The crowd definitely thrived on his energy. And he's, he's the kind of player who he's going to drive teams mad while he's at UC. Nobody's going to like the the energy and the attitude he brings to these games. Opponents are going to hate him, and it's going to make us love him that much more. It's it's funny you mentioned the the dunking, because I remember listening to a podcast at the beginning of the season to kind of get the feel for what how good was Memphis going to be. And they were talking about, all oh, this team's just going to dunk, dunk, dunk. And then you go to Midnight Madness, and you say the Bearcats are going to not be dunking Yet this might be one of the most fun dunking teams I think we've seen in a while. The 
the alley-oop from Jaron Cumberland to Trey Scott is now a staple of Bearcat basketball games this year. I think it happens at least once, maybe twice a game. You get guys like Jeremiah Davenport throwing it down. You're getting you're getting Chris Vote, who I'm pretty sure 90% of his shots are just uncontested dunk. You have Keith Williams powering it through two defenders on the ball to throw the to throw it down. This team can dunk the ball. Yeah, it was uh this was a game that featured quite a few awesome dunks. I mean, Precious had a few in his own right. But you're right, you know, Keith Williams is probably my favorite from the game given the how late it was. It was to tie the game up, I think, with seconds to go. He did yep. it over two defenders and they were completely clean dunk uh block attempts. When you're watching live, you might think that that looked like contact, but it wasn't. Clean block attempts, still powered through, still still converted the dunk. Um yeah, uh, Bearcat Madness is is far behind us at this point, and we actually do know how to dunk the ball. It's good to see. <laughs> oh, my favorite one. I don't know how it didn't make the ESPN top 10, but off the miss, the Jaron Cumberland missed three-pointer. Trey just takes the rebound while in the air and just, just puts it back with the ferocious throwdown. That 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 had ESPN top 10 written all over it. That's a, Trey Scott got snubbed. It's all right, though. We'll take a snubbing in the top 10. It's not acceptable to snub us in the NCAA tournament. Well, Trey Scott, let's, let's talk about Trey Scott's game against Memphis. Because if you, do, if you remember, we got to watch the first Memphis game together in the beautiful city of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And Trey Scott really struggled in that matchup. He looked completely overmatched against elite athletes like Precious Achua. He... He, str- he failed to convert a shot in the game. He finished 0 of 7, didn't thrive from, the, from a rebounding standpoint like he typically does, came back he- in this game, finished 8 of 13 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, 19 rebounds and 25 points. A dominating performance, completely reversing course from what happened against Memphis the first game. Yeah, and you're right. Memphis, he definitely struggled the first time around. He did convert two field goals, but he took 13 shots. He went two for 13. He missed both free throw pen, both free throws, and he was out rebounded in the rare instance by Keith Williams. Uh, he definitely just didn't show up that first time in <laughs> in the great city of Harris. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. It was it was two of 13 from the field. It it probably emphasizes the point a little bit more. But a, a complete role, role reversal in this game. He he took it to Memphis. You know, there was absolutely no back down and and he sensed with Jaron Cumberland on the bench. And when you're not it's not just when you're on the bench, but he came back and played in the first half. But when Jaron Cumberland's playing with two fouls, you're getting a completely different Jaron Cumberland at that point. He's going to be, you know, ninety percent facilitator, ten percent scorer. He knows how prone he is to get being called for an offensive charge at this point. So Given that he couldn't be as aggressive as usual, Trey Scott brought all of that aggression for him and more and uh, was able to convert field goals at just a much higher clip. He's finishing in the paint a lot better. He's starting to knock down that three-point shot. Uh, it's, it's a huge development for the Bearcats if they clean up the, the challenges, the problems that they have continually had this season, which include turnovers, defensive rebounding oh we'll get to the turnovers and free throws and in the memphis game let's be honest turnovers weren't necessarily the problem nor was rebounding i actually thought that 
the Bearcats did well in a lot of their in a lot of their weak points. The biggest problem in that game was the foul trouble. You know, it's really hard for the team to have a bad defensive or rebounding showing when one player is coming down with 19 rebounds. I mean, you can also say the same thing about Memphis. They were completely relying on Precious for their for their rebounding efforts as well. You know, because you're looking on the other side of the ball, and Precious had a had a great game too. Trey Scott had a really hard time containing him in the second half, and Precious Precious went off. Uh, but yeah, no, the team as a whole, I think there was some. There's been a, a little bit more of a an emphasis on the rebounding, even though when we get to the next game, it's not going to seem that way. But the rebounding has the gap between the worst and the best is, is is tightening up a little bit, which is something we need to see. Well, we went against UConn and got completely dominated. They, we gave up 18 offensive rebounds yeah. in, against Memphis, against East Carolina, not nearly the volume of offensive rebounds given up. Trey Scott is definitely the one, the number one guy in terms of cleaning up defensive rebounds. We saw some good effort, though, from Chris Vogt, some really good box outs. It seems like they're, they're making a more concerted effort for guards and wings to crash the glass and help out on the boards. Against Memphis, you see Jaron with five boards. Keith Williams, three. Micah Adams-Woods, four. So when you have kind of that team group rebounding effort, you can you can make up for a, di- uh, a big man like Chris Vogt who's not as elite of a rebounder uh, as you might want at that position. So what do you, what do you say? What, what letter grade are you putting on the game? I'd like to give it a solid B. You know, there's definitely some some issues we, we did have on the defensive side of the ball in the second half, offensive side in the first half. But, you know, overall, I think it's a solid a solid performance. You beat a quality team at home. Uh, a must win. Put yourself- I mean, it was it was what we called the most important game remaining of the of the last seven games. That was the most important one. And I think in hindsight, I think we nailed it because losing to that losing to Memphis elevates their profile a little bit more. And it actually increases their their stature in terms of the bubble conversation. And it downgrades us. So that was incredibly well, important. I think it also helps to get us as much off that bubble conversation as possible. You know, I think there's been, I don't remember the last year we were actually on bubble watch, but it's been a while. And if I remember anything about watching the bubble is you do not want to be a team that's being talked about in the middle of the bubble. You want to be a team. If you, if you're not in the tournament solidly, you want to be at the top of that bubble as far up that list as possible when people are talking about you, because at the end of the day, this this selection committee, it's not science. There is an art behind it as well. So they are human, and they are taking human factors into this. So they have the team sheet, but at the end of the day, they can still say, well, no, the eye test says this is a tournament team. So you want to be up there. So beating a team like Memphis at home, defending your home court, just going to elevate our profile that much more, keep us in the top half of that conversation, not in that last four out. So that's where I think it's really important to win this game. Plus, winning Memphis, once again, we're going to get into this, but it really sets the tone for what has to happen the rest of the season. Because the games that you're going to be playing against, you're going to be playing against teams that are definitely inferior in terms of of competition and athleticism and talent-wise, but you're going to have to win those games. So gutting out a win like this over a quality team, with an NBA first-round draft pick on their roster, by the way, you know, it's it sets the tone for what is coming up for the rest of the season. Agreed. Uh, well said, sir. Um, you know, we went from being on the bubble to bursting Memphis's bubble, and that makes me a happy camper. 
Let's move on to the East Carolina game. This was a <laughs> game that uh, I think everyone naturally was a bit apprehensive about because, A, I think the Bearcats went there and lost last year, first conference game of the season, and it was ugly, an ugly, awful loss to a, a team that we have no business losing to. We beat them by 25 points earlier in the season. And obviously, when we went to Greenville this year, it was not an easy matchup. Bearcats came out like gangbusters early, took an 11-2 lead right off the bat. Defense was on point. The Bearcats were full court pressing, rattling East Carolina on every one of their possessions. Gardner could never get in rhythm, was missing a bunch of shots. And uh, the Bearcats made made an extremely concerted effort to get the ball inside. Chris Vogt. Trey Scott, Keith Williams, everything we were getting was inside. And I thought that punishing style of basketball was meant to essentially suck all of the wind out of East Carolina's sails and destroy their hopes at winning the game. Unfortunately, things went off the rails right after that start. Bearcats started turning the ball over, throwing it all over the place. Just the wild, wild west in terms of of taking care of the basketball and at that point, things got extremely weird moving forward in that game. Weird stat or trend of the game. I know we already mentioned turnovers were a problem. Every single Bearcat that touched the ball had a turnover in this game. Well, at least at least we're doing it as a team, Hummer. If you're going to you're going to turn the ball over, we're all, we're sharing sharing the wealth. We score together, we turn the ball over together. So that also being said, one of the other trends we mentioned the last game was, you know, I don't think we called it this, but I know people were calling it the the game of the freshman because the freshman played so well uh, from a bench perspective, a role perspective. Our bench did not play nearly as well. I'll put an asterisk by that, though, because I think Zach Harvey at the end of the game did a, a very f- a fantastic job of filling in for what is otherwise the conference player of the year, reigning conference player of the year, hitting hitting the bench with five fouls. I think Zach Harvey stepped up. He hit a very important, a big-time three in the closing seconds of the game to at least ensure that guy when East Carolina came down and just dropped one right in our face again. Yeah, that was uh, wild to say the least. Uh, you're right. Harvey did make one of the biggest shots of the game. Micah Adams-Woods, it was another game where he showed up and performed at a really high level. His final stat line was 10.6 boards, four assists, and another really clutch defensive play. We didn't mention this from the Memphis game. We should make mention of it now. Micah Adams-Woods blocked the potential game-winning layup for Memphis, preserving overtime for the Bearcats. Then in this game, Gardner takes the ball toward the end of regulation, I believe, and this might have been for the win as well, and he, he reaches in, Cleanly strips him, Bearcats basketball going the other way. His length and his intelligence on defense are standing out already. He's going to be an all-league defender with the Bearcats and a long-term, highly successful player for this program. Couldn't be excited more about what Shuey's bringing to the program. It's, it's a good point that you mentioned with Shuey and what he's bringing to the program because, look, next year is going to be a wildly different year than what we're experiencing this year because we will not have Jaron Cumberland. We will not have Javen Cumberland, but you're going to have a, or Trey Scott, you're going to have a core of Chris Vogt, Keith Williams, and Micah Adams-Woods as your returning starters. Micah Adams-Woods, I think it's going to be expected to take a bigger leap than what he's doing this year as a freshman. I'm curious to see who are the other role players. I'm assuming Jeremiah Davenport's also going to be another huge, huge piece and then Zach Harvey in their development, but 
Mike Adams Wood is already getting starters minutes. So I think if his development keeps going, maybe we're having that conversation two years from now, three years from now of maybe he's a potential conference player of the year type type of player. It's fun to think about where he could go with how he's playing basketball right now. He played 40 minutes in this game. Now, those minutes were inflated because we found out after after the game, Javen Cumberland only played eight minutes, driven by the fact that he was apparently throwing up and quite sick before the game. And so hopefully he's feeling better. Uh, you know, certainly can't blame him for not, not being able to get out there and play if you can't keep everything down. And uh, well, without Javen Cumberland, it, it made our bench – it really exposed how thin our bench can be from a scoring standpoint. Because outside of, of uh, Javen, you know, the real, the only real scoring upside on the bench at that point is Zach Harvey, and his and his contributions at this point are are limited to those, you know, open three point looks and you know finishes on a Jaron Cumberland pass, and and he he obviously knocked down the most clutch three pointer of the game, second most clutch three pointer of the game, let's say, um, but. Yeah, it was it was a really poor showing from our from our bench in this game. Yeah, and and to really illustrate how important the bench points were, we were outscored on the bench three to twenty three. We we only won the game by three at a bench that typically scores anywhere between you know fifteen and twenty points for us, and this is a blowout win, especially with the minutes that some of those guys got. I mean, Diara, this was probably if I had to. Even even though he did when he got in there, he did take the opportunity to crash the boards. So I do appreciate that that effort from him. But it seemed to me to be one of Mamadou's worst performances uh, from a standpoint of a f- overall effectiveness. It seemed like once he was getting in, Brandon was really happy to turn around and take him right back out for something that he did. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. It, you know, I thought there was some. It's it's a typical. I actually thought it was a little more typical of a Mamadou performance because there was some. There were some good highs where he challenged shots defensively and impacted and impacted East Carolina on that end. He also made a pretty pretty cool nifty pass from the top of the key, but then he also had a couple turnovers, uh, or one turnover where I, it was from that type of pass where he's just basically overdoing it. You know, you're not making the simple play; you're trying to make the flashy play, and it's not what the Bearcats certainly not what the Bearcats needed in this game. But let's talk about some statistics that really stood out and that everybody's been talking about with the East Carolina performance. The Bearcats went 5 of 16 from the free throw line, good for 31%. <laughs> Chris McNeil, always- 0 for 2. Mamadou Diara, 0 for 2. Keith Williams split his, 1 of 2. Micah split his, 1 of 2. J- Jaron Cumberland, 2 of 3. And Chris Vote 1 of 5. Chris Vote, while he was an awful, awful free throw shooter, at Northern Kentucky, he is he had seen big steps forward this season. The free throw stroke has come a bit off the rails here lately. He kind of looks like Shaq when he throws a free throw up. Uh, the other thing I'll point out too, because overall, I think the officiating of the game was 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 fine for the most part. I'd give the officials a B, uh, you know, B. <laughs> B plus. They they literally lose a full letter grade because they had just three very atrocious. Uh, charge calls on Jaron Cumberland. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, so, I feel so done with talking about officials, though, in the American Athletic. We know what we're getting. You're getting inconsistent well, I'm just, I'm just also pointing. I'm, I'm not going to try and defend, you know, one for five from the line. But, you know, hey, one for two, one for two. Okay, I get it. You miss you miss the, the back end of the one and one or whatever. I get it. But Jaron Cumberland typically is getting to the foul shot line. He's typically making them, too. 
So you could also argue that there's three times he should have been at the line when he wasn't. It's another six opportunities for, for shots. He probably missed five, makes five of them. Now we're finally over 50%. Uh, but, yeah, I don't really want to get into the fouls. They were atrocious. They were horrible. But the silver lining there is you got to see Zach Harvey be able to come in and you know make a big-time play for a freshman who's getting very limited minutes. You know, he, he came in and, and had a big play. But I think also if, if we're talking about some stats of the game and we're talking about Jaron Cumberland's play in particular, you know, there I think there's something to be talked about the difference between these last three games and the, the previous five games before that during that five-game win streak that we were on. Yeah, it's a good, a good moment to bring that up. So in the five games prior to this recent three-game stretch, so the recent three games has been UConn, Memphis, and East Carolina. Prior to that, the Bearcats went on a five-game winning streak. During that winning streak, Jaron Cumberland averaged 21 points a game, shot 49% from the field, and 32% from three-point range. Really solid numbers overall. And that's the, the reason we're bringing that five-game stretch up is that as a fan base, that's when we were all at our highest confidence level in terms of the quality and where we saw this basketball team heading long-term. It was easy to see, based on who we were beating at Wichita, home to Houston, crushed SMU at home, we were just beating really solid basketball teams at a, in, a, in an impressive way, a way that would make you think this is the kind of team that could go on a tournament run. Now, what we've seen in the last three games, Jaron Cumberland's scoring, and, and specifically from the field, has just fallen off, off the map completely. He's now averaging 12 points per game over the last three games, 23% from the field, 26% from three-point range. He's just timid right now in terms of scoring the ball. Obviously, his facilitating ability is still there. He made some incredible passes in the Memphis game. He's still setting up other guys to score, you know, play in, play out. He's running the offense really well. But for the Bearcats to be at our highest level, to reach our highest potential, Jaron Cumberland has to be a scorer who's closer to 20 points per game. Yeah, and one of the things I've, you know, I think we've always noticed about Jaron, Jaron is elite when it comes to drawing contact from defenders. Uh, that's part of, I think, his style of play is, is almost a little bullying at times where he, he likes to lean in with the shoulder. He likes to go up and, and initiate contact before he throws the, throws the shot up. And for some reason, it just it feels that the, the, uh, the, the black and white pinstripes just don't, don't want to reward Jaron for that type of play right now. So I think that's also having an impact where it's almost like he's not going up for the shot and he's going up for the foul. And it's real, it's resulting in a lot of off balance, you know, try to off off balance layups outside the paint. But also Memphis did an incredible job of actually making sure on those drives that Jaron wasn't driving into the middle of the paint. If you notice on a lot of those drives, they were steering him on the outside of the paint, making him have awkward angles for those shots. Even if he wasn't trying, even when he was initiating contact, he was just not in a really good position to make a high percentage shot. Right. I think teams have gotten better at not biting on any sort of pump fake and not giving Jaron Cumberland easy angles for driving. Right. He's not the most explosive player and he doesn't have the most explosive first step. And that's without those things, it does become harder to get around elite defenders. And so if teams are gearing up, putting their best defender on Jaron Cumberland and doing everything in their power to not let him get into the lane, it does make his life more frustrating. It does open up 
open him up and make him more susceptible to what I think is just college basketball's officiating weakness, which is the charge call. They love calling charges at the college level, period. And with Jaron Cumberland, the way he's built, the way the ease in which he can bowl over players, he does not get the benefit of the doubt on those calls. And it's just something he has to build into his strategy. You know, he can't you can't be timid. You still have to be willing to take it to the hole, but he has to find a way to make sure you're consciously not lowering the shoulder. You're doing everything in your power to to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. So the silver lining coming out of the ECU with Jaron Cumberland is he shot 50% from the field. He shot 50% from three-point land. So he was getting to the basket, but he also kind of saw for what you would be normally. You see 33 minutes and say that's a lot, but for Jaron Cumberland in a game that went to overtime, that's not a lot of minutes. You know, add an extra seven minutes to that game, and Jaron Cumberland's maybe able to to squeak out and actually have a 20-point game. He was on that verge of, of kind of having that breakout. Uh, so I do see some silver linings that, you know, we've said this before, buy the dip. If, you know, if if we've had one, it's here. I think it's time to get, to get back in because we got – we know what's coming up in the schedule. You know, we, we know that this is going to be – these are the most important games of the season. It's here. There's nothing we can do about it. You have five games left, and you can only lose one of them, and we know which game that is that you can lose. It's the one at Houston. Every other game is a must-win from here on out to remain off the bubble. Right. I agree. That's why it's it's easy for me to not get obsessed with the daily you know, net ranking updates, and, and I don't I just don't think you should drive yourself crazy worrying about those numbers when I think at the end of the day, we can tell you how the Bearcats, what, are, what our chances look like in terms of getting into the tournament based on the outcome of the next five games. We know that if we win four out of five games, our chances at making the tournament look really good, especially if you add on a, a tournament victory or two. Four of the right five games. <laughs> I would say I don't no. Think you, I think I don't four think or five games, Hummer. If we beat, if we win it, if we win at Houston and lose one of the other games, okay. I don't Honestly. think you can lose to UCF. I think the issue there is on that team sheet where all of a sudden UCF is another quad three game that we've lost. That makes it four quad three games that we've lost, and that's just a stat that's going to stick out like a sore thumb. That we're basically right above five hundred playing what would be we consider sub hard talent fair and i don't think i don't think the cats can afford to have a game like that fair no um, more quad three CF losses but if we win at houston if we win four out of five games and one of them's at houston i'm still going to be feeling pretty good about the bearcats chances we've got a homestand coming up here hummer uh two game homestand first up ucf coming to town on wednesday i agree you make a good point that the bearcats should not be dropping any games to more to any more quad three uh type losses so Let's get that win at home. We've been great. The crowds have been amazing. Pretty confident what the Bearcats are going to bring to the table on that game. The next home game after that will be against Wichita State on Sunday. And that is a huge game because Wichita State has started, has since bounced back from a very embarrassing two-game stretch where they lost to UC at home and then got completely smoked at Houston. Their coach was making comments after the game about you know, being completely disconnected from the team. They have since turned things around. They just beat down Tulane. Nothing gets teams back on track quite like playing Tulane at home. So congratulations to Wichita on that. 
but they will be a tough game and a tough out even on our home court. Yeah, and granted, this isn't the one that's make or break. You know, if, if we're talking about which four are the right teams, if if you do drop Wichita State, it does mean you have to go on the road and take care of business in Houston. Just it, it makes it, it makes the order a little taller. Uh, but once again, the atmosphere is just going to be rocking inside Fifth Third Arena on Sunday when Wichita comes to town. So, I mean, I, that game definitely has me the most worried of the home games that are left. But yeah, the the game that's the games that are standing out to me in terms of uh, just overall scare factor are UCF cannot afford to drop one to UCF, and I would really also like to go down and not drop one to South Florida either. Yeah, we have to be nervous for every road game at this point. We're just not consistent enough on the road. There's very little chance we're going to put together a complete game, and so it's really who's showing up, where are we getting production, are we good enough, are we playing well enough at the things we're bad at in that game to avoid the shot, the upset. Um, so keeping turnovers down, which up until East Carolina, we had started to see positive steps. Turnovers had been, you know, in the low... 10, 11, 12 range. Now we saw the the nightmare of a 22 turnover game. When you could still get the win, I think that's a good thing because you know John Brandon's going to go back to the drawing board, tighten up the turnovers. Jaron Cumberland hopefully gets a little more aggressive in terms of looking for his own shot. Hopefully the home cooking does some uh, does some good work for him, and uh, we'll see if the Bearcats can go 2 and 0 on this home stretch. Hey, this is the perfect time of the year to catch fire. So we've had a little bit of wall. We've we've pulled out some scrappy some scrappy wins. We should have, in my opinion, had a scrappy win at UConn, but that's that's also neither here nor there. But either way, we're playing scrappy at the moment, and I'd like to see it get tightened up, be buttoned up, because if we can if we can really kind of do what we said we needed to do that six game stretch, if we can do that here in these last five games, we can roll into March on a high note with a ton of confidence knowing that we do have some freshmen who have the ability to come off and make some big plays off the bench. We also, you know, knowing that we have five solid starters who can play almost the entire game if needed to, you know, so this is, this is going to be the, this is it. This is where we see where the Bearcats are made of these last five games. Yeah. Let's make that this last three games. Let's make it the plateau and then start our climb up the mountain again, where we get this team hot and rolling, ready, ready to dominate in March. Well, at this point, Hummer, I think we've uh, we've kind of rehashed these two games at extreme length at this point, maybe even uh, to our own detriment. But I do want to thank people for listening. Thanks for uh, shooting us reviews on on iTunes. You can find us there and anywhere else you get podcasts. Hit subscribe. Shoot us a five star review with a funny comment. We'll we'll probably read it on on the podcast because we really do enjoy those. And uh, in addition to that, find us on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. Or shoot us an email, cincyslangin at gmail.com. Hummer, we're at the point to dedicate the podcast to a former Bearcat great. We did not talk about this beforehand, so I'm going to let you go off the cuff. Let's go a little, uh, let's try and go a little obscure with it. You know, someone a little outside the normal talking point. In light of 22 turnovers and the, the spirit of keeping the turnovers limited while maintaining high spirits, the highest of spirits, this podcast is dedicated to the one, the only, Justin Jennifer. Oh, I like that, especially with the turnover problems. You know, if there's a point guard who who figured out by his junior and senior years how to run an offense without turning the ball over, 
It was Justin. Now, that came at the detriment of lack of creativity at times, lack of aggressiveness. But tur- reducing turnovers does keep you in games. And so I like, I like keeping that in mind. And in addition to that, he had a really nice three-point stroke that last season. And uh, we, need, we need some of the Bearcats to find that stroke again. We're talking to you, Jaron Cumberland. So good dedication, a recent Bearcat, a fun Bearcat. Uh, someone that is, uh, you know, came in with high expectations, didn't necessarily meet those early on, but worked his butt off, got in better shape, had a, a nice little handle. I, I find lefties extremely endearing anyway, and uh, turned himself into a really, really good player, his junior and senior seasons in particular. So shout out to you, Justin Jennifer. This podcast is for you. Cheers. By the way, lefties are definitely the best.